morning. How are we? Don't you guys just love Spring Forward Sunday? <laughs> all right, I don't like it at all, all right? It's my least favorite Sunday of the year, but you're here. I'm super excited you made it. Um, you know how to do adulting, hashtag adulting well. Good job. Uh, the only reason you're late or whatever is because you, have, you don't use your phone for your, for your alarm, right? Like, otherwise, you don't even know that it's daylight savings time. You found that out when you got here, so... Um, just use your phone from now on for your alarm in the mornings, and you'll never be late on daylight savings time day. Spring forward. Um, maybe fall back. You don't use your phone just so you're here early, but that's just another thing, okay? You can think about that later. I'm Pastor Jake, the lead pastor here. It's my honor and privilege to unpack the Word of God with you and for you. Matthew 25, if you have your Bible, you can head over there. Germantown campus, excited to be here with you. Washington campus, excited. If you're tuning online, excited to unpack the word with you and for you. We are in a series of messages called Life Goals. This is week three, the last week in this series. Next week we start an awesome series I'm excited about called Awkward. How many of you would say you're kind of awkward? Anybody? Uh, lots of hands going up at the Washington campus, just a whole awkward campus over there. And so I, I get that. Uh, you, you're awkward if you can't sit next to somebody else at church. Like how many chairs are between you and the next person or the next family? We're supposed to do Christian community, but we, can't, we can only sit at the edges of the rows, right? And so how do we do that and sit at the edges of the rows? And so I get that. So we're going to spend four weeks talking about what does it mean to be a community of believers together in the church. And so we'll be talking about that for four weeks. That's starting next week. It's going to be great. But today we're talking about life goals. And so uh, we are, in our culture, uh, consumed with the future, right? Uh, 401ks and nest eggs and retirement and college funds. And it starts with, hey, what are you going to be when you grow up? Uh, but it changes as you grow older to, have you decided a college major yet, right? And, and then into, what, what's your five-year plan? What's your 10-year goal? What do you want your life to look like in 20 years? What, what, do, you, what do you want retirement to be? When you're 65, how, how do you want to live your life? And, and so we get focused on all of those. We are consumed with the future, kind of, right? We're consumed with like a small part of our future. We're consumed with what turns out to be a very small part of our beginning. Now, that's really what we're consumed with. This series, I've been using this illustration from Francis Chan. This rope represents your life, uh, the exist, your existence. You will exist in eternity somewhere. Just pretend this rope goes on for eternity. You are going to, ex- to spend eternity, millions upon millions of years, somewhere in some state with or without Christ That's just the truth. But what we tend to do is we tend to focus all of our energy and time and planning and gifting and resources on our time on earth. This red spot on the rope represents your tiny beginning, what turns out to be uh, just a blip on the map of eternity, just the beginning. And even within that, we will spend all of our time focusing on the last little millisecond, right? Like, I really just want this millisecond to be really comfortable, and I want to have a camper during this millisecond, and I want to I go places this millisecond. And in light of eternity, it's absolutely crazy, right? It's just ludicrous. We're focusing on the wrong life. We have goals for the wrong life. And so my challenge during this series has been 
for you to shift your focus and begin to look at what life is after earth. What life, what happens when Jesus returns and this life ends and gives way to the next, to eternal life. And so in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus is talking about his return. He's talking about that day when this life gives way to the next. And he gives us, there's three teachings in Matthew 25, and they kind of serve as three life goals um, in Matthew 25. And so get ready, life goals from Jesus. Get ready, invest wisely, give generously. And so the last two weeks, we've covered the, the first two teachings Uh, The two parables in Matthew 25. And we said, get ready. Get ready for what? For Jesus' return. He's coming back. Invest wisely. Invest wisely where? Into what? Into the kingdom of God. We looked at the parable of the talents and investing what we've been given into the kingdom of God. And then give generously. So today he's, Jesus is going to talk about giving generously. And we'll talk about giving generously to whom. We'll jump into that in just a moment. But imagine this for, or let me ask you a question before we move on. How many of you just like, how many of you just love, when you were in school, you just loved final exams? Anybody? You just loved them. You just looked forward to them. You just loved them. Okay, how many students do I, like, like elementary, middle school, high school, college students in the room and at Washington campus, like give me a shout out. <laughs> students are lame. I knew that. I knew that going into it. I knew, I knew we would have students just do this because that's what students do, right? Students are lame. You guys want another chance? All right, if you're a student in the room, current student, give me a shout out. Uh, You're still lame, all right? You're still super lame. Washington's totally killing you guys in that. But students in the room, how many of you just love final exams right now? You just love those big tests and those final, anybody? Yeah, okay, we got one in Germantown campus that loves final exams. Can I tell you something about myself? Most people don't like final exams. Can I tell you something weird about me? Okay, this is a safe room, right? A safe place. These are like my closest friends gathered here today. Um, you guys aren't going to judge me, are you? Okay, most of you are going to judge me. It's fine. <laughs> I, as a student in college, seminary, and high school even, I loved final exams. That's weird, right? I was super weird. I loved final exams. I loved the, the finality of them. I loved the, the clutch moment. I, I loved the the... the Just that you get to show whether you know this stuff or not. Either I studied and I know it or I don't, right? You can do all the talk during the semester. You can be the guy in class who acts like he knows everything. You can do all the posturing, all the talk. It's all laid bare on final exam day, right? Like you either know it or you don't. I like the objectivity of it, like to see most final exams, to see if I really knew this stuff or not. I I liked the challenge of it. But most of us, most of us don't, that's weird, right? I get that I'm weird. Most of us don't like final exams. I get that they're kind of nerve-wracking. I remember in, in seminary or in Bible college um, in, in a class on Koine Greek. Koine Greek is the now dead language that the New Testament, most of the New Testament was written in. I remember we had a final in Koine Greek. And Koine Greek class is notoriously just a difficult class in Bible college. And 
all of my friends were just like flipping out. They were like, oh my gosh, there's no way. There's so much in this test. There's no way we're going to pass. This isn't fair. It's not going to be bad. It's going to be bad. And, and like failing a final um, is bad enough. But if you fail a final in seminary, that's like a double-edged sword. It's like you flunked a college course and you let Jesus down, right? And so it's kind of a double-edged sword. And so, so they're kind of freaking out and Oh, it's going to be really hard, and I'm just kind of listening to him, and, and one of my friends goes, shut up. I'm like, what? I didn't say anything. He's like, yeah, you don't have to. He's like, you like this, don't you? He's like, you love this. You were just about to say, hey, this is a time to honor God with what we've been given. This is a time to show what we've learned. This is a time for your hard work to pay off, blah, 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 blah. Well, that's what you were going to say, right, Jake? I'm like, yeah, kind of. <laughs> I was going to say that. I'm sorry, it's, I'm just weird, all right? But most people, they don't like final exams. They're kind of nerve-wracking. I get it. A lot riding in that one moment, right? Like if, you're, if your basketball team makes it to the championship game, there's a lot riding on that one moment. If you're a, if you're a lawyer who's about to try the, the largest case of your career, there's, there's a lot riding on that one moment. I get why people don't like final exams, normal people. I get that. I totally get that. We'll come back to that. Matthew 25. In Matthew 25, if you have your Bible, you can head over there. Um, Three teachings. The other two teachings we covered the last two weeks are parables, a story that Jesus tells with a deeper truth that will help us change. And so the other two are parables, but today's passage is not a parable. Jesus isn't telling a story. He's telling us what it will be like when he returns. He's talking about something that will definitely happen when he re- Jesus is coming back. There's going to be a day of reckoning. What's that going to look like? You don't have to wonder because Jesus is going to tell us. Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 31, Jesus says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Okay, so not too hard to understand so far, right? There's going to be a day when Jesus returns. It's not a story. It will happen. Jesus returns. He's going to sit on his throne because he's the king of kings. He's going to gather all the nations together. That's you and me. That's everybody. Are going to be ga- everybody's going to be gathered before the king of kings sitting on his throne, and then he's going to separate people. Don't miss this. He's going to separate people. Let me plead with you for a moment. He's not going to say, everybody come on in. He's not going to say, everybody enter into the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. That's not what he's going to say. He's going to separate people. And these people from a distance may look the same, But when you get up close, you find that some are goats and some are sheep. He's going to separate people, sheep on his right, goats on his left. Look at verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. 
Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when do we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Okay, so he's going to speak to the first group, the righteous. And he's going to say, enter into the kingdom prepared for you before the foundation of the world. You made it. Enter into my kingdom. Because when I was hungry and sick, you came and helped me. When I was homeless and didn't have any clothes, you found a place for me to stay and you gave me some clothes to wear. When I was in prison, you came and you ministered to me. You helped me. And he says that this will happen. On that day, the righteous will go, ah, I don't remember that. I don't remember doing that for you, Jesus. What, what are you talking about? And Jesus will say, anytime you helped a homeless person find a place to stay, you were helping me. Anytime you took in an orphan, you were taking me in. Anytime you fed someone, visited someone who was in great need, what you did to the least of these, for the least of these, you did directly for me. For Jesus. Wow. I mean, that, that changes, what Jesus just said changes everything, doesn't it? I mean, it changes everything, but it can, because it means when I serve the hurting, I serve Jesus. When I serve the hurting, I serve Jesus. When I serve the least of these, the poor, the broken, the forgotten, the, the the hurting, the unloved, the hungry, the abandoned. I serve Jesus. Listen, you want to find Jesus? You'll find him in the eyes of the brokenhearted. You want to you get close to Jesus? You'll get close to Jesus as you draw close to the poor. You want to really know Jesus? You'll know Jesus when you know the least of these. When you serve the hurting, you serve Jesus. And this changes everything. Now he says on that day, he'll, he'll not only talk to the sheep and say enter into the kingdom and all this good stuff, he's also going to talk to the ones on his left. Look at verse 41. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he'll answer them saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. Wow, again. Hard to hear, right? Hard to hear. But Jesus, Jesus ain't telling a story. 
Jesus is telling us what's going to happen on that day. This will happen when he returns. Two groups, sheep or righteous on the right and goats or those who missed it on the left. And Jesus says to the goats that you will enter into not the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world, but eternal fire prepared for the devil and his followers. We call that Colloquially, we call that hell, right? Why? Because Jesus was hungry. They didn't give him any food. He was thirsty, and they didn't give him anything to drink. He was homeless and didn't have clothes, and they didn't give him a place to stay and clothes to wear. He was in prison, and they didn't minister to him. They did nothing for Jesus. So they, the goats, will ask, just like the righteous, just like the sheep, they'll say, ah, when did that happen? Hold up. Can I, child, can I appeal this ruling? Because I didn't see you, Jesus. If I'd have seen you, I would have helped you. When did we see you and neglect you? When did we see you and ignore you? When did we see you and abandon you? And Jesus says, as you did not do to the least of these, you did not do it to me. Heartbreaking, right? Terrifying. What Jesus says in this this passage changes everything. Because it means when I abandon the hurting, I abandon Jesus. When I ignore the hurting, I ignore Jesus. So this is not, this is not extra credit, beloved. This ain't like, okay, I made it in and I can do some extra credit by helping the least of these. This isn't extra credit. T- taking care of the poor, the hurting, the down and out, the forgotten, the, the hungry, the homeless, the orphans. It's not extra credit. When I abandon the hurting, I abandon Jesus. When I ignore the, the hurting, neglect the poor. I neglect Jesus. When I'm apathetic and numb to those who, who, who are brokenhearted, I'm apathetic and numb to Jesus. When I ignore that homeless person on the street, I'm ignoring Jesus on the street. When I ignore the, the fact that there are orphans and kids in crisis everywhere and I just live my life, I'm ignoring Jesus. I'm abandoning Jesus. I'm neglecting Jesus. And there are consequences to this, right? I mean, I'm not making it up. Jesus says there's some consequences to this, right? there, There are eternal consequences. He said the sheep will inherit the kingdom prepared for them before the foundation of the world, and the goats will go into eternal fire. And in case you missed it earlier, he says it very clearly in the last verse of this passage, verse 46, he says, and these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Eternal punishment or eternal life. So eternity seems to hang in the balance here, right? Eternity is hanging in the balance. What Jesus just said is how you treat the hurting will affect your eternity. Right? Right? How you treat the hurting will affect your eternity. That's what Jesus just said. I mean, just like with most of this in Matthew 25 over the last two weeks, it's not hard to understand, is it? I mean, you don't need, you don't need a seminary degree to understand Matthew 25. I mean, you just don't. You don't have to have a lot of background and hermeneutics or exegesis or anything like that. You just need to read it. 
And you can understand. This is easy to understand. Now, now you may not like it. You may try to find an alternate interpretation. Go Google alternate interpretation of Matthew 25 when you get home so you'll feel better about yourself. But that's just a silly game, right? That's just a silly game. You and I both know what this is saying. Listen, you may be okay with someone else taking care of the hurting, taking care of the least of these, but Jesus isn't. Jesus isn't okay with someone else doing that. You may be okay with outsourcing this to the government, but Jesus isn't. You may okay, be okay with outsourcing this to secular nonprofits that you give a few dollars to, but Jesus is not okay with that. He gave this job to the church, taking care of the least of these. It's given to you and to me. So, so let, me, well, let me just... Spend some time on this because I really want you to, let me just sit here for a moment. I want you to get this, okay? So government is not God's answer to the hurting in our world. Economic reform is not God's answer for the hurting in our world. There will be no political party or politician who will be God's answer for the hurting in our world. No nonprofit, philanthropic, social justice, secular organization will be God's answer for the hurting in our world. Hear me very clearly, beloved. Hear me very clearly. You are God's answer for the hurting in our world world. You, the church, you, those who would call themselves Christ followers, those who, who would hear, or those who would be the sheep in Matthew 25, those who would have gone through the narrow gate in Matthew 7, those who would hear at the end, well done, good and faithful servant from the parable of the, of the talents last week, the, the, those who would not only think of Jesus as Savior, but as Lord, as leader of their life right here, right now, those who would not just live for this life, but they would live for the next, those who would make sure that they're not distracted and stained by the things of this world, but their focus is on, is on the things of the next world. You, that's what I'm talking about, you. You are his hands and feet. You are God's answer for the hurting in our world. You are his ambassadors. You are his carriers, the carriers of his light and his love. It's you, beloved, no one else. It's just you, the church, God's church of transformed people, empowered by the Holy Spirit. You are God's answer for the hurting in our world. So you trying to figure out what God wants from you? Do you have a desire when all is said and done, when you end this life, to have spent this life where God wants you to spend? This is it. Mystery solved. This is it. You don't have to pray about it. You don't have to ask somebody about it. Jesus is very clear that this is it. This should be at least one of your life goals, right? Get ready for Jesus' return. Invest wisely in the kingdom of God and give generously. Give generously to whom? Give generously to the hurting. 
give generously to the least of these. Time, money, passion, energy. Gifts, talents. Love. Give generously to the hurting. Jesus Jesus doesn't care about empty religious activity. I mean, you can can come through these doors of the church. You can come through the doors of of the Washington campus. You can... You can come a million times. You can go to life group. You can serve in a ministry. You can, you can give money. You can be super friendly. You can do all of that. And Jesus is going, did you serve the least of these? Because that's important to me, Jesus says. That's important to me. God doesn't just want empty religious action or empty religious activity. He wants you to sacrifice for those in the greatest need. Isaiah 58 talks about this. You can read that this week. But basically in that passage, it's just saying, God is saying to the people, you can't expect me to accept your worship when you gather if the whole week you're neglecting and ignoring the hurting. You can't, from Monday through Saturday, live for you Act as if hurting people don't exist and then come on Sunday and expect me to just be super happy that you sang a song. God's going, that's empty. That's not what I want. He goes, you are my answer for the cries, to to the cries of the hurting. You are my answer to their cries for help. Your your time on earth, it's it's just a short beginning, Right? It's just a beginning. You will spend eternity somewhere. We are so often obsessed with the future. It's just the wrong future. I mean, how many of us, when we talk about 10-year goals or 20-year plans, how many of us include the poor? How many of us are going, hey, I really want in, in 10 years, I want to help more poor people. In 10 years, I hope to be feeding the homeless every single week. In 15 years, my goal is to give another 10% above and beyond what I tie to my local church to organizations, gospel-centered organizations that help those who who are in this category, the least of these. My 20-year plan is to take in 10 foster kids, kids in crisis. My five-year plan is to adopt two orphans. How many... How many of us, this is our life goal. If we were focused on eternity, these would be the types of things we would be saying, right? The types of goals we would have. Why? Because when I serve the hurting, I serve Jesus. Because we, Christ followers, the church, we are God's answer for the hurting in our world. But these aren't our life goals. Not for most of us. Most of us, our life goals are to to live in a certain size house, to have a certain car, to live in a certain neighborhood, to reach a certain salary range, to go to a certain number of places in our world, take more vacations with the kids, be the boss, start a business, retire early, by a boat. These are our life goals many times. Our life goals are sad. 
temporary, selfish. I mean, the, the hurting, the poor, the broken, the least of these, they don't even make it on the page. They don't even make it in the picture. They're not even close to getting into our life goals. Why is that? Why is that? I'll give you two, two responses I get a lot from people who would say they're Christ followers. When I challenge them with this idea that we are to give generously to the hurting, that we are the answer, God's answer for the hurting in our world, that as we serve the hurting, we serve Jesus. So two, two responses, common responses. I'll give you the sinful response, then I'll give you God's answer from Scripture, okay? So two responses. So God says, give generously to the hurting. Response number one, I won't have enough. Give generously to the report, to the, give generously to the hurting. I won't have enough. I don't think I'm going to have enough. If I, if I give to the hurting and I tithe and I start to do this and start to live open-handed, it's, I'm not going to have enough for me, for my family. I don't have enough in my budget. So, first of all, I would say all that you've been given was given to you by God. All that you have was given to you by God, right? 100%. So none of it's yours anyways. So if God wants you to do something with it, you should just do it. Sermon over. Let's go home, right? I mean, you should just do it. But, so that's one. Number two is when people say, I don't have enough, Oftentimes, it's not that they don't have enough, it's that they don't have enough left over. Those are different things. Those are different things. If you spend 100% of what comes in every month, if you choose to take on the big mortgage and the car payments and go out to eat all the time and go on huge vacations and wear really nice clothes, new clothes all the time, if you choose those things, if you choose to spend 100% of whatever comes in, you spend it, and that could include retirement that you're putting away for you to spend later, right? So that that could include that, but but if you choose to spend everything, every dime, 100% of what comes in, Every month, it's not that you don't have enough, it's that you don't have enough left over. And those, those are different things. This seems like a good place to say this. Last week, we talked about investing wisely into the kingdom. That begins with investing into your local church, the church that you have a relationship with, the church that is your home, the church that you have you serve them. You've, you've got a covenant relationship with them. You, you give the first 10% of your income to your church financially. Time-wise, you serve sacrificially in your church to push back the darkness with the gospel, with the light of the gospel through your church. Because listen, beloved, I want to be clear on this. I touched on it last week. I want to be clear on this. God did not give the ministry of reconciliation, the ministry of the gospel, reconciliation between man and God, God and man. God didn't give that job. He didn't give the stewardship of reconciliation, the stewardship of the gospel to any other organization. He chose to give that to the local church, to the church. Not to secular nonprofits that, that do good things and have a good heart. Not to the government. Not to para church ministries. 
He gave that to the local church. So if you and I as Christ followers cease to tithe and give sacrificially to the local church, a gospel light will be snuffed out. Because that's who God chose to have the stewardship of the gospel. Does that make sense? Two of you are with me. So it starts there. God chose, it's hard to get people to amen on tithe, right? It's just hard. It's just really hard. If I ever do that, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tweet about it, all right? I'm going to put it on Facebook. They actually amen when I said something about tithes. It was exciting, all right? Maybe if you like to tithe, if you like giving your money, if you've seen God do great things, maybe next time I mention the word tithe, you can say amen just so I can tweet that out, all right? So it starts there. God, is, God, God chose to reach the world through the church. We talked about that last week. But, but you are God's answer to the hurting out in the world. We are God's answer to the hurting. So we're to give generously above and beyond that to those who are in the greatest need, the least of these. But if you think you don't have enough, my, in my experience, it's probably that you don't have enough left over. You don't have enough left over because you're spending everything that comes in. We confuse those two realities easily, don't we? Often we do. I know that because I have people saying they don't have enough. They can't, they can't tithe. I really want to tithe, Pastor. I just can't. I can't do it. I don't have enough. I really want to give, but I just can't. I can't do it. I don't have enough. And then, you know, the next day I see on Facebook they're off on some ridiculous vacation or they bought a new car. So I know that this is a problem for us, confusing these two realities. I don't have enough versus I don't have enough left over. I don't have enough left over. So, but may, maybe you're still worried. Maybe you're not, not convinced. You know, the answer is I won't have enough. And I've said, hey, it's all God's and probably you have enough. You're just trying to give God the leftovers and that's slim. You're still not convinced. I still don't think I'll have enough. Here's God's answer in Proverbs 19. He says, whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord and he will repay him for his deed. So if you're worried about having enough, you're worried about really having enough to, to, to support your family, if you were to start giving generously to the, to the poor, he says, if you give to the poor, you lend to me, and I always pay my debts. So hear this, giving to the poor, tithing, investing into the kingdom of God, it's the safest place you can put your money. Like the markets are like this, right, at times. Jesus is kingdom, baby, just like this. So you want to talk financial advice, you give into the kingdom, okay? That's the safest place you can invest your money. So, so, so we say, I won't have enough. God's answer is, I got you. I pay my debts, right? I got you. I pay my debts, okay? So first answer, I won't have enough. Get, God says, give generously to the hurting. Here's, here's the second answer right here. First, we say, I don't have enough. And secondly, uh, we say, I'll do it later. Okay, I'll do it later. Okay, 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 I'll, 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 I'll do it later. They say, okay, God, I'll give to the poor later. I'll help the poor later. I just, just not right now. I'll give to those in need. I'll help the homeless. I'll take in the orphan. Just not right now. Let me get, let me get the kids through school first. Let me get this project done. Let me get the promotion I've been working for. Let me get to a certain salary range. Let me get the, wait till the grandkids are a little older. Let me wait till I retire. Okay, I'm dead. I missed it. Right? You just fill, you fill in that blank. 
I mean, let me just wait till this. I'll serve Jesus. Jesus says, you serve me when you serve the least of these. I'll serve Jesus later. Later. Well, you don't, you don't know if you're going to have a later, right? You're not promised tomorrow. None of us are promised tomorrow. But I think this is God's answer to that. It's Proverbs chapter 3. Do not withhold good when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again tomorrow. I will have it or I will give it when you have it with you now. Don't, don't say you're going to do it later when you have it with you now. God goes, don't wait. Don't procrastinate. Don't put this off until tomorrow. This is not a later thing. This is a now thing. In other words, he goes, later isn't promised. Now is all you have. Give generously to the hurting. I won't have enough. I got you. I pay my debts. Okay, I'll do it later. Later isn't promised. Now is all you have. Beloved, there are no excuses. These are just two, but there are no excuses that hold any water. Jesus is clear. When you serve the hurting, you serve Jesus. When you abandon the hurting, you abandon Jesus. What you do to the hurting, it affects your eternity. And you and I as the church, we we are God's answer for the hurting in our world. But don't forget, this is, this is all about Jesus' return. Matthew 25, it's all about Jesus' return. But final exams, right? Ugh, they're just hard, nerve-wracking. There's so much riding on this one moment. But, but really, a final exam isn't about one moment, is it? I mean, if you're on a basketball team, you make it to the championship game, The moments in that game, that's not really what's going to spell your success or failure, right? If you're a lawyer and you're trying the biggest case of your career, your moments in that courtroom during that case, that's not what's going to spell your success or your failure. You're going to do well or you're going to do poorly on the exam based on if you prepared, how much you prepared for the days, weeks, months, years leading up to that exam, right? You're going to do well or you're going to do poorly in the championship basketball game, not because of what happens that day, but because of how well you prepared, how many hours, the hours you sacrificed in the gym, working on your shot, working on plays, working on being a team together for this game. If you're a lawyer and you're trying the biggest case of your career, what's going to determine your success or your failure will be your preparedness leading up to that case. The years and years of it. There's a day coming, beloved. There's a, there's a day coming when your tiny millisecond on earth is going to give way to eternity. And it's not going to be, what matters is not, not what happens that day. What matters is what happens, what you've done, how you've lived your life, all the days leading up to that day, right? That's what's going to matter in the end. You will spend eternity somewhere. It matters what are you going to do with this life. There's a day when Jesus, he'll come and we'll meet him face to face. And over and over again, we're told in scriptures that it will be a day of reckoning. But it matters what you do before that, not on that day. It'll only matter how you spent your life 
Did you spend it on here? Did you spend it on now? Did you spend it on comfort, convenience, stuff, status? Or did you spend what you were given, time, energy, money, abilities, talents, did you spend what you were given on eternity, on what matters? In other words, what were your life goals? Which, which life did you plan for? There's a day coming, beloved, a day of reckoning, and here's the kicker. We don't know when it is. You can't cram for this final exam because we don't know when it is. You can't procrastinate and say you're going to do something tomorrow because we don't know if we'll have tomorrow. That's the kicker. We have no idea when this is actually going to take place. You don't know how much time you have left to spend this life for eternity, to serve the least of these. You can't put it off until you get to a certain income level or until the kids get out of the house or you fill in the blank with whatever lame excuse you've had lately. You can't, you can't do it because you don't know how much time you have left. So here's, here's my advice from this Life Goals series. Don't focus on what you're going to do that day when Jesus returns. Don't focus on what you're going to do that day. Focus on what you're going to do today. This day, each day. You're not promised tomorrow, so work with today. This isn't, isn't about earning your salvation. Okay, works don't save you, but if you're saved, you'll absolutely work, right? Works don't buy grace, but grace absolutely produces works. This isn't about earning your salvation or anything, but if you have given your life to Jesus and the Holy Spirit lives in you, then you will desire to serve Jesus and follow his command. And Jesus was clear that when you serve the hurting, you serve him. So today, surrender to Jesus. Give your life to Jesus. Let go of your pride and your selfishness and your greed and your envy and that comparison trap and all of that, let go of that stuff. Open your hand wide to those who are in need. Let go of the, ask God to give you the right life goals or the goals for the right life, maybe is a better way to say that. A desire to shine brightly as we prepare for Jesus' return so others will see that he's coming. A real love for the kingdom of God and his church so much so that we invest in it. And a genuine love for the least of these, the hurting. Ask God to change your heart in that way. And then do something. Do something today. Rearrange your life. Commit to giving, going, loving. Start tithing. Start giving to kingdom builders. Start going and serving in a ministry that serves the least of these. D invest your life. Talk to your neighbor about Jesus, right? Get, Get ready, invest wisely, give generously. Get ready, invest wisely, give generously. Jesus is coming back. At all of our campuses, Washington, Germantown, online, let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for your goodness and your mercy. Thank you, God, for your word that is 
that always hits us right when we need it to. Um, that we can come in with, with excuses and thoughts and deception, and yet we can't change what you said, Jesus, in your word. We can't change that. And so we just have to deal with the truth that you give to us. So I thank you for that. There's no excuses that we know what you've called us to do. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit that helps us to walk this out, that helps us to to be convicted and to repent and to move towards you and be like you and serve you, Jesus. Thank you for your spirit. As we continue in an attitude of prayer, really just a couple things you can do with this. One is that you're realizing that you're not a sheep, you're a goat. On that day, when Jesus returns, you're sure you'll be, you'll be on his left, not on his right. You'll be the one that's told, enter into eternal fire, be put in the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. And that's you. you say, I've never fully given my life over to Jesus Christ. I want to give you a moment to do that right here. Don't leave this place without praying, asking God to transform your life. It's a work that only he does. So in this moment of quiet, ask yourself, have I given my life fully over to Jesus? Not just do I believe that he exists, do I go to church, but he, is he the Lord? Is he the leader of my life? Do I actually care that he says I should give generously? I should sacrifice all that I have for the kingdom and for the least of these. Does that even touch my life? If it doesn't, then he's not yet the Lord of your life. So maybe, maybe today's the day that you pray a prayer and you just say, God, I want you to change me. I want to be like you. I want to be ready when Jesus returns. I want to care about the hurting, but I don't right now. I can't right now. I don't see how I can do it. I, I don't understand. I have doubts, whatever. Just confess to him. Ask him to transform you. Ask him to help you understand what he did on the cross for you, that he took your place, that he paid your price, that he defeated death in the resurrection. And I believe if you ask with a pure heart, if you ask with genuine motives, wanting him to change you, that he will, that he will change you. The Bible says that. So that's one, that's one group. Maybe though the other group is, you're a sheep. You say, yeah, I know Jesus. I'm a sheep. I have a relationship with him. But as we read Matthew 25 in the end with the sheep and the goats, and you're going, man, I'm a sheep, but I kind of look like a goat. Kind of getting goatish as I continue here. I've forgotten. I don't the least of these, the poor, the forgotten, the brokenhearted, the hurting, they're not in my life. I ignore them. I've abandoned them. I'm apathetic to them. And you're being convicted. And this is just Jesus' grace today, God's grace, that this message came to you at this time so that as a believer in Jesus, you can repent. You can ask for forgiveness. And you can move in a different direction from this day forward. And so if that's you, Maybe this, this message just sparks some honest conversation with friends and family, a spouse maybe, kids. But how are we going to apply Matthew 25, serving the least of these and, and thus serving Jesus? How are we going to apply that to our lives? Come up with a plan. Write it down. Get it on the calendar. Do something. Repent. Jesus, I ask that you would do this in the lives of many, that you would save souls, that you would move us who know you, that you would move us closer to you, and that we would leave here with a desire to serve you, not to abandon you. 
We love you. We give all this into your hand and we trust you with it. It's in your holy and precious name that we pray. Everybody said? Amen. Why don't you stand with me? Thank you so much for coming today. Here's my prayer for you today. May you spend all you have getting ready for Jesus' return. May you invest wisely into his kingdom on earth and his church. May you give generously to the poor and the brokenhearted in our world. And may you hear on that day, well done, good and faithful servant. God bless you. Make sure you talk to your life group about this this week. If you're not in a life group, just stop at Connection Central. We'll get you plugged in. As always, my challenge to you is to leave here not dismissed, but sent. Be a Jesus follower who goes out and makes other Jesus followers. Next week, we start the awkward series. It's going to be great. A lot of you are awkward. It's okay. Just come on in. We'll be awkward together. I'm a little awkward. It's going to start next week. It's going to be a great one. Find an awkward friend who doesn't know Jesus and just tell them, hey, we have this series called Awkward. I think it's great for you. And just see, just try something different and you're inviting people to church, right? Try that and see if it works. We've got prayer workers on the side that would love to pray with you about anything you have need. And then we're going to sing this last song. So worship the Lord with us and I'll see you next week.